0: Turn your Bibles to Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, very familiar verse within God's Word, and we're going to circle a particular word when we come to it. A young recent graduate from liberal university, a liberal young lady, stood before her elementary school age class and she let those little children know in that public school classroom she said I want you children to know right from the start I am an atheist and I'm proud of it and you children need to be atheists as well how many of you children wanna be atheists the kids not really knowing what atheism was uh, but wanting to please their teacher they all shot up their hands except one girl young lady by the name of Everly, Everly. Teacher asked her, why don't you have your hand up? Everly said, because I'm not an atheist teacher. Then what are you, the teacher asked. I'm a Christian, Everly said. The teacher posed the question, why are you a Christian? Everly said, well, I was brought up knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, serving Jesus. My mommy loves Jesus. My daddy loves Jesus. My parents are Christian, so I'm a Christian. Teacher getting real angry now. Well, that's no reason, she angrily said. What if your mom was a a moron? What if your dad was a moron? What would you be then? Everly smiled. Well, that would mean I'd be an atheist. I'd be an atheist. I'd be an atheist. Two weeks ago, we preached the word, Do you know Jesus? Do you know God? Or have you settled back in your easy chair of religion to just know about God? Many, the Bible says, say that word with me, many on that day will come to him and cry, Lord, Lord, we healed in your name, we cast out demons in your name. But he will say unto them, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I know you not. Jesus went on to say, broad is the way that leads to destruction, hell and death, but narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few there are that find it. There you have it. There you have it. Countless Christians have settled for a counterfeit Christianity. That's why uh, I ha- have entitled this short sermon series this summer, seize your destiny. Seize your destiny. Christian, you need to get passionate about your walk with God. You, you can't just settle for a milk toast, namby-pamby, sit back on your blessed assurance faith. Get anxious. Get hungry. <laughs> get passionate about your walk with God. I don't like to lose. I was on the phone with the builder this week. I said, I don't like to lose. I always like to win. (laughs) If there's anything for you to win with, it's your walk with God. That's why the Bible describes your walk with God as a fight of faith. Paul said, fight the good fight. Paul said, run the race that's been set before you. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. (laughs) It's keep on keeping on. Amen? Don't lose hope. Don't be detoured, distracted or delayed. Keep your eyes on Jesus and seize all that God has for you. Get passionate about it. Look at Acts 1.8 with me. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We Pentecostals all very often quote this verse to focus on the Holy Spirit. This morning I focus, I'll come later to the Spirit, but I focus on that word witnesses. Would you circle the word witnesses? If I am going to be faithful as your pastor unto the Lord and give you the whole counsel of truth, I need you to know that if you're going to seize your destiny in God, your purpose in God, your high calling in God, you need to know that you've been called to be a witness. Why be a witness? We witness, we're soul winners, because we are obedient To the commands of the Lord. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Look at the end of all these Gospels. Jesus is ascending into heaven. His departing words were marching orders for you and I. To be soul winners. To be witnesses. To make disciples. To preach the good news to everyone everywhere. If you're going to be one who knows God and not just settling for knowing about Him. You will determine to seize your destiny and being a witness. We witness because time is short and eternity is forever. How long do your unsaved family members and your co-workers, your acquaintances and friends, how much time do they have? You don't know. I said, you don't know. But we do know how long eternity is. Eternity lasts forever. There it is. Jesus said in John 9, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming. Congregation, night is coming when no one can work. When Jesus called Peter, James, and John, when he called them to leave their fishing boats behind, do you remember what he said to them? Jesus said in Matthew 4.19, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I want to ask you a question. Is it possible to be a follower of Jesus and not be a fisher of men? Some of us have settled to be keepers of the aquarium. And I ask myself the same question. Are we spending all of our time, energy, and focus being keepers of the aquarium instead of being fishers of men? If you really know God, if you really know the heart of Jesus, if you really know the passion of Jesus, His passion will be your passion. His heartbeat will be your heartbeat. And His heartbeat is lost souls reaching our world for Jesus. It's not changed. His marching orders, go and make disciples of everyone, everywhere. Those orders have not changed. To disobey them is high treason. It's mutiny. We can't be true followers of Christ if we're not fishers of man. I'm convinced the greatest hindrance in being a witness for Jesus Christ, I'm convinced that it's not our education, It's not our expertise. It's not our eloquence. What's the greatest hindrance that keeps us from being effective witnesses, representing Jesus? No, it's our stinky, lousy attitudes. We don't make friends well. We're not likable. We're not likable like Jesus. Read the gospel record. People went out of their way to be near Jesus, to know Jesus, to touch Jesus. A prostitute comes in as a party crasher and disrupts a whole party and pours perfume on Jesus' his feet and his hair. She cries and wipes his feet with her tears and her hair. Zacchaeus, a tax collector, climbs up a high tree and literally goes out on a limb just to see Jesus. What attracted people to Jesus? He's the friend of friends. He's likable. He's lovable. In fact, the religious leaders said this in Luke. Here is, they accused Jesus... A friend of sinners. And Jesus wore it like a badge of honor. Are you a friend of sinners? Do sinners like hanging out with you? Being around you? Do you have such an open personality? Friendly personality? Outgoing sense? I'm not talking here about natural charisma. I'm talking about loving people like Jesus. This morning... I want to share a message with you. It's a two-part one. We'll finish it next week. Likeable like Jesus. What are the friendship qualities that you and I can strive for so that we're likable like Jesus? Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we hold our hand over our heart. Would you hold your hand over your heart? Lord, I pray right now, change my personality. Change me. If I'm standing in the way, Lord, with some trait, some characteristic, some attitude that's keeping people from seeing you, Jesus, being Jesus in me, Lord, begin it today. Do the surgery today. Start the healing today. In the name of Jesus, Lord, speak to us through your word. Amen. And amen. If you'd like to fill in the blank and follow along with me, write down the first answer this morning. Living with Jesus' joy will make you a likable witness for our Lord. A young, lady, a young lady came home from a date, and she was rather depressed, and her mother uh, said, Why are you so sad? She said, Jeff finally proposed marriage to me. Well, why are you sad then? Jeff, mom, is an atheist. He doesn't even believe in in hell. The mother looked her in the eye and said, Honey, marry him anyway. Between you and me, he'll really begin to believe in hell. (laughs) Is that how you treat people? When people spend time with you, do they feel like they've enjoyed a little slice of heaven? a whole lot of hell then we wonder why we're not effective witnesses ask people why they are attracted to certain people and why they're repelled by others and I have heard the same answer year in and year out I like being around that person pastor because they always make me feel happy yes They always make me feel happy. Think of it. Americans pop more pills. They take more tranquilizers for our worries, our fears, anxieties, our our, our, our down-in-the-dump feelings than any other nation on the planet. Reminds me of the the sad sack that said, "When When I'm sad, I begin to sing." And then the whole world is sad with me. The message, we're the most unhappy generation of all time in history. And tragically, the spirit of unhappiness has invaded the church, has invaded congregations and countless Christians, robbing us of a real witness unto the Lord. When you think of Jesus, what image comes to your mind? Do you have the image of this Sophisticated, sober, serious, somber, super spiritual, mystic. It's not the portrait the Bible paints. Luke chapter 10 declares, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, same spirit you can receive joy through or John 15:11 Jesus said these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy right might remain half a tank quarter of a tank might be full full That's right. I don't know about you. I don't want a half a tank. I want a full tank of Jesus' joy in my life. Again, happiness is based upon happenings. We have good happenings, we're happy. We have bad happenings, we're depressed. But Jesus' joy is constant. Jesus' joy declares, "Uh, I know in whom I have believed, uh, my Redeemer liveth, uh, my God is on the throne, and everything's going to be all right. That's Jesus' joy. No wonder the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength, amen, and Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 Paul teaches rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice rejoice in the Lord on weekends Tuesday through Friday always 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 pastor that's hard I know that's why joy is not a feeling joy is a God confidence that our God goes before us and makes a way where there seems to be no way. Joy is a choice that you and I make. It's a faith choice. It's our expectation in our God who cannot and will not fail us. Joy How do you experience joy? You don't find joy at happy hour. You find joy at Jesus hour. We're having Jesus hour right now where the body of Christ, uh, the people of God, are coming together. (laughs) Jesus' hour is when we clap our hands together. Jesus' hour is when we raise our hands together. Jesus' hour is when we shout for joy and sing for joy. Jesus is our Savior, Lord of lords, King of kings, and he's coming again. Amen. If you want joy, real joy, get it with the people of God. Amen. Because my Bible and your Bible says that whenever any two or three are gathered together in His name, He is right there in the midst of them. And where Jesus is, Psalm 1611 says, You will fill me with joy in your presence. Amen. I don't know about you. I don't want fleeting joy. I want an every morning, every day joy. I don't know about you. I don't want to get up every morning and say, good God! It's morning! I want to get up This is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and I will be glad in it because joy is a choice. Hallelujah! I'm getting out of the right side of the bed and this is going to be a good day in God because He's on the throne and everything's going to be alright. Amen! Amen. Secondly this morning, likable Christians are caring and kind like Jesus to others. Likeable Christians are caring and kind, like Jesus to others. I ask you a question: who's got the better smeller in your home? Who's got the better smeller in your marriage? Husband or wife? My wife can detect unpleasant odors, I swear, at 100 miles. These sinuses are so damaged over the years. I'm at the point, I I, I, I can't smell a thing unless it's really, really, really bad. I'm about to communicate to you about something really, really bad. Oh man, I mean it's bad. It's putrid. Many of you know we have a cottage. We entertain many of the ministries of Lakeside at, at our cottage uh, just about an hour away. Uh, we call it the boathouse, but it doesn't house any boats. It's just a shed uh, next to the dock. In the shed, all the fishing paraphernalia and the 101 inflatables that my wife has bought over the years at the dollar store for the grandchildren. Children. most of them we've never blown up I walk now that boathouse doesn't have air conditioning of course it just bakes in the Sun I mean it gets hot in the summertime in there I opened up the door to the boathouse and this putrid stench assaulted my senses for the first time in my life my sinuses cleared The hair on my head rose up. My skin yelled, no. (laughs) It was so bad. And I couldn't figure out where it's coming from. So I began following my nose and finally ended up at the work table. Here was this beautiful, brand new towel my wife had just bought for our bathroom here it was neatly folded up on the work table in the boathouse I began to unfold it and the smell began to accentuate the smell began even to go worse I I, I mean it's bad and I unfold the towel and what did I find in there the biggest, baddest bluegill that had been in there for days and days and days that the grandsons had caught fishing and had neatly left for grandpa, all folded up in grandma's brand new towel on the work table in the boathouse. I don't know what he said, but uh, Okay. Sir, ma'am, you've got the outward look of a brand new towel. You've got the exterior that says Christian. You're wearing your gold cross. You've got your, 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 your holy uh, shoes on. Uh, you walk to work with a 90-pound Bible tucked under your arm, but uh, your personality stinks. It's no wonder... You're an ineffective witness for Jesus. Nobody, nobody, nobody wants to be around you. Some Christians, you know, what do you mean, Pastor? Some are so negative, so down in the mouth, while others, excuse this word I'm going to use, honey, sir, ma'am, young person, you're just weird. You're weird. You're weird. Uh, sir, you don't have to wallpaper the bumper of your Buick with Christian bumper stickers to prove that you're a Christian. I-, I saw one going down Shaner the other day that was so rusty it needed a tetanus shot. And of course on the bumper was, uh, I only believe in the King James Bible and a fish symbol. And I'm just dying. I'm just dying What a lousy testimony for, for, for Jesus. To prove that you're a Christian, you don't have to carry around a, a, a Bible that is so big you need a wheelbarrow to cart it a, around. Uh, to be a Christian, you don't have to wear a gold-plated cross around your neck that's so big that Don Waggy wants to use it as a prop in our next Easter play. You don't have to bring so much... Christian paraphernalia to work and and, and post it and and hold it on your desk in the office at work that they've designated it a holy shrine on the way to the Vatican. And by the way, while we're on it, please don't use Christian knees. Please don't use Christian knees with the unsaved, the unbeliever. You you know what I mean by Christian knees? Some of you you look confused. Most of our world has never read the Bible. Most of our world has never been to a church. More and more of our world is non-Christian or has any sense of a biblical background. Do you know that America is now the third largest unreached nation? So don't turn around to somebody and try to win their soul by saying, Have your sins been washed away in the blood of the lily-white lamb of God? You're going to freak them out? Years ago, I was at the grocery store at the checkout counter and standing there waiting in line patiently when all of a sudden I felt this finger, bony finger, jabbing me in the back. I turned around quickly. I swear the guy was nine feet tall but only weighed 50 pounds. He's the skinniest, tallest giant I've ever seen. And he had this big, toothy grin. And he said, do you really love Jesus? I'm a pastor. I'm a Pentecostal pastor. It freaked me out. I I, I said, come on, turn on another grocery lane. I want to go in another lane. Quick, how do I get out of here? How do I get out of here? (laughs) Oh, my, oh, my. Remember, remember, saints, we don't always have to talk Jesus, but we're called to live Jesus. We're called to live Jesus. We're called to live Jesus. Caring for people, caring for their needs. The longer I live as a pastor the more I'm aware of the heartaches and the hurts that are out there. I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home. I was blessed to be raised in a pastor's home. I'm blessed to have my parents still married to each other and they're still living. I am blessed beyond measure. Most of the people in this church cannot say that. So many have been brought up in dysfunctional. Broken and bruised situations that we preach at them. That's not what Jesus did. That's not how Jesus reacted. Matthew nine thirty six. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved. The Greek there, deep down in his guts, he was moved with compassion for them. Care them. Jesus more than cared. His caring led to kindness. The world needs to know that you do more than care. Many of us care about the down and outer. We care about the poor. We care about the hungry. We care about the unbeliever. But are you showing kindness? There's a difference. It's not enough to be moved emotionally Is your caring leading to kindness? Kindness is love in action. Kindness gets up and does something. Kindness uh, is loving people more than they deserve. You don't always have to knock on doors and hand out gospel tracts. How about mowing the lawn for your neighbor who just had surgery? How about bringing a meal over to somebody that's just had a baby? How about fixing a leaky roof? Uh, how about just driving over and say, can we go out for a bite to eat and do lunch and just lend a listening ear? There are so many hurts and so many heartaches out there that are desperately needing your kindness and and my kindness. Uh, Jesus, He did something. He more than cared. He showed kindness. He healed the sick. Why? It was their need. He fed the multitudes. Why? It was their need. They were hungry. He, he washed the feet of the disciples. Why? They were dirty. It was their need. And nobody else, nobody else was picking up the towel or the basin. Jesus even interrupted a funeral. A widow had lost her only child, her boy, that would have been there for her in her retirement, and Jesus raised him from the dead. Why? It was her need! your soul-winning ministry to others, it doesn't have to be spectacular. You might never be a Billy Graham packing out a crusade. It might mean taking a meal to a family, fixing a car, uh, uh, or just dropping by and, and lending an ear to hear their hurts and, and their needs. God loves our worship, but nothing pleases God more than caring for the hurting or the needy of His children. Jesus said in Matthew 10, and if... If as my representatives, you give even a cup of cold water to a little child at VBS this week, at the Big Give on Wednesday, August the 30th, down in Louisiana. If you give even a cup of cold water to a little child, you will surely be rewarded. Jesus went on in Matthew 25, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Is your caring leading to kindness? Or are you just singing the songs and lifting your hands and patting yourself on the back? Well, I did my Christian thing on Sunday. I'm good for another week. Honey. Many, many shall call upon my name and say, Lord, Lord. But I know you're not. I know you're not. If you want to experience a whole new level of God's presence, I'm talking about his joy and blessing in your life. Quit trying to figure out what others can do for you and begin figuring out what you can do for others. How you can be a blessing. How you can touch them in the name of Jesus. How you can be His hands, extended, reaching out to the oppressed, refuse to go through life as a taker, and become a giver. And watch what God can do with you. Get up each morning and say, God, send somebody across the pathway of my life. Somebody that I can lift up. Somebody I can bless. Somebody I can encourage. Somebody that I can bless them in their need. Lord, I want to be a Christ follower. I want to be a witness for you because I've been blessed To be a blessing. I've been blessed to be a blessing. Listen, the world, the world, the world doesn't care what we know. They want to know that we care. That we care. Christian, if you want to be a real Christian, find a need and fill it. Find a need and fill it. This past week, Frank Panolina, our missions director, came to me and said, Pastor, every year... It's so difficult to find people that care. Find people that will minister at our big give. Pastor, what can we do? Uh, Pastor Ben May came to me and said, Pastor, I need a host of workers at VBS. People that care about children. What can I do? Find a need, saints. Christian, find a need and fill it for the glory of God. Choose Choose to be a blessing instead of always praying to get a blessing and you'll touch the heart of God. Being likable like Jesus means choosing to be a positive, God-confident witness. A positive, God-confident witness. Parents, husband and wife, were blessed with twins. No, not talking about the Hakes twins. These were identical twins. Identical twin boys. Identical in every semblance. Except no two people could be so diametrically opposed in personalities. The one boy was the eternal pessimist. He never was hopeful for anything. He was always down in the mouth. He always looked at the cup as being half empty instead of half full. On the other extreme, the other boy was the eternal optimist. Always filled with expectation. Always filled with hope. Uh, always looking on the bright side of things. Uh, always looked at the cup half full instead of half empty. Dad, he, he thought to himself, "I got to bring balance. I got to bring balance. I, I gotta. I gotta just really nip this thing in the bud now. On their birthday, I've got a plan. So on their birthday, this dad had a plan. With the one son, the pessimist son, the eternal uh, down-in-the-mouth negative pessimist, he filled up his bedroom with all kinds of brand new birthday toys, brand new bicycles, brand new uh, all kinds of video games and gadgets and robots and, and Baseball stuff and cowboy stuff. It was glorious. The room looked like a toy store. In the other boy's room, Mr. Positive, the eternal optimist, this dad, he shoveled in there a huge pile of horse manure. Boys, go to your bedrooms! Your birthday presents await you. The boys went to their bedrooms and dad uh, gave it five minutes walking down the bedroom uh, or the, the hallway and spied and looked upon the eternal pessimist, Mr. Negative, surrounded by all of his new toys and gadgets and there the boy was sitting in the middle of the floor crying. All the instructions that I've got to read. All the batteries these things are going to need to be supplied with. It's going to end up all breaking. The more that you own, the more owns you. Plus, my friends are going to be jealous with me now. He walked down the hallway to the eternal optimist, Mr. Positive. He looked on in thinking that the boy would be in a fit of depression. But otherwise, what did he see? He looked. The boy was dancing on top of the pile of manure. He said, glory to God. Hallelujah. I just know there's a pony down here somewhere. Hallelujah. God is good. What do people see in you when it comes? To positivism, but even the world has that. What does the world? What? What does the unbeliever? What does the non-Christian see in you when it comes to your faith expectation? When it comes to your God confidence that somehow, some way, God's going to make a way where there seems to be no way? What does the world see in you? What would you rather hang around with? Huh, Mister Negative or Mister Positive? What was our Jesus like in a world that was hopeless, a world crushed under the heel of the Roman government? Can you imagine if the Chinese or the North Koreans were sitting in our White House right now? Can you imagine if their troops were walking, uh, marching up and down Shaner? road and they were in charge that's the world of Jesus but how did Jesus view the world Jesus said in John chapter 16 verse 33 these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer I have overcome the world hallelujah who would you rather hang around with a doubting Thomas or somebody that has said Be of good cheer. (laughs) There's something to be happy about. Look up, lift up your eyes. I have overcome the world. We live in such an uncertain world. You want to have heartburn and get sick to your stomach? Just watch five minutes of the news. Energy crisis. Pollution crisis, global warming crisis, healthcare crisis, political crisis, White House crisis, Congress crisis, North Korean ICBM crisis. The worst witness that we can be is to say, oh yes, oh my, yes, it's the sign of the times. And we as Christians, glory to God we're in the four walls of the church and we're singing that old hymn of the faith as we wave our white handkerchiefs hold the fort for he is coming we used to sing that in the church hold the fort everything's falling down around us everything's burning up it's doom and gloom and we're just hanging on oh Jesus come back we're just hanging on hold the fort for he is coming You think that's what God has called us to? It's time for the saints. It's time for men and women of God to rise up in the darkness of uncertain times in which we live. In the the moral meltdown in which we live. In the X-rated generation in which we live. It's time for you and I to rise up with expectation, faith, with God confidence and rise up in the doom and gloom of uncertain times and declare, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that my God is able to do that which is exceedingly and abundantly, more than we can imagine. Ask or think He's on the throne and everything's going to be alright. Hallelujah! Do you walk with that kind of bounce in your step? Do you have that attitude? Do you have that unshakable God confidence? Remember old doubting Thomas? Unless I see it, I won't believe it unless I see the nail prints in his hands. I won't believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. But Jesus shows up in John 20 and said to him Thomas because you have seen me you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. How many are here this morning? You're one of those that have not seen, yet you believe. You're one of those that have not seen, yet believe. Uh, you're God confident that Jesus is raised from the dead, conquered hell, death, and the grave, and is sat down at the right hand of the Father. My Bible and your Bible says there is a special blessing bestowed upon you that have. Not seen, and yet you believed. That's the kind of witness that Jesus needs in this world today. Is despair, hopelessness knocking at the door of your heart? Huh? Are you in the middle of the summertime moldrums? Is your Christianity kind of sluggish in the midst of the dog days of summer? Then, honey, sir, ma'am, perform a doubt-ectomy. Perform a doubt-ectomy. Come down to this altar this morning and lift up your hands and press into the presence of the one who cannot and will not fail you. Allow him to lift you up so that you can this week lift others up in the name of Jesus. Perform a doubt-ectomy, press into God, and expect, expect your God to act. Being likable like Jesus, lastly, is forgiving others. It's being a grace giver. Oh, what a desperate need in our world today. Can you imagine me preaching as I am here this morning, and all of a sudden the the pastors or the deacons or the elders drag in a woman? I'm preaching and I'm teaching, I'm sharing the gospel. You're listening attentively. And they drag a woman right down the center aisle and plop her right here before all of us. And in an embarrassing, humiliating way, they all say, This woman has committed, Pastor Jesus, This woman has committed adultery. We caught her in the very act. Jesus called the Pharisees a lot of things like snakes in the grass. He should have called them peepin' toms. He should have called them, uh, you know, a bunch of male chauvinist pigs. Where was the man? Last time I heard, it takes two. It tells us what's behind the scenes. It it tells us uh, uh, this morning that this is much more than just the sin of adultery. This morning as Cindy comes to the keyboard, uh, we know that they were trying to entrap Jesus. They said that uh, according to the laws of Moses, this woman should be stoned to death. What say you that we do? As they pick up the stones. Jesus knew that they were trying to entrap him because only the Roman government could perform capital punishment. They're trying to catch him between the two. He stones her. He's in trouble with Rome. He doesn't stone her. He's in trouble with the people. They've got him. Jesus bends down and begins writing in the sand. It's the only account that we have of Jesus anywhere in the Bible. Writing anything. What was he writing? I'm convinced that our omniscient God, who knows the thoughts of everyone, I'm convinced that he was writing down their sins, the big ones. Then he got up and he said those famous words. Most of you know them. Say them with me. He who is without sin. Let him cast the first stone. The Bible says that from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and left, leaving only Jesus and the woman. But I can imagine she's now shaking with fear. As she realizes she's in the presence of one who is without sin utter holiness sinlessness wondering if he is going to cast the first stone he lifts her up he says woman where are your accusers and she says no one accuses me Lord then he said, neither do I go and sin no more. This was the mission of Jesus. He states it in John three seventeen. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Do people see you as a condemner? Or a grace giver. Do you know that most of the people you rub shoulders with, no matter how smart and smug and sophisticated they look on the outside, do you know that every sinner, every unbeliever, every non-Christian, they're dragging a garbage bag full of putrid, stinking garbage? They're pulling the garbage bag of their faults, their failings, their mistakes, their sins, their past. And they desperately, desperately need salvation. They desperately need a a word of grace to be given to them. Grace givers, not only are you and I called to forgive people for how they've hurt us, But when was the last time you relieved someone of the load, the burden of sin that they're carrying? When was the last time you were able to say to them, Sir, Ma'am, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how, how deep, how black your sin is. His grace is deeper still. See, we live in a Christian world right now where pulpit after pulpit is preaching, Hey, God understands! Everybody does it. Don't worry about it. You're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay. Just live with it. That's like putting lipstick on a pig. You can put makeup on a pig, but it's still a pig. That's greasy grace. People need relief, Uh, they need salvation, they need to be rescued from their garbage. You can tell them His grace is greater than all of your sins. Friday night, I was on the phone for about an hour with someone urging them to come back to Lakeside. They said, Pastor, everybody knows what I've done. Everybody knows how I've fallen, how I've failed. I said, my dear soul, we're all clay. The Bible says he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. My dear one, we're all strugglers in the faith. Lakeside, yes, is a congregation, but Lakeside's also a family. And I'm here to tell you that the Lakeside family will wrap their arms round about you and let you know that His grace is greater than all of our sins. And you're not alone. We've all needed grace. We all will continue to need His grace. We're all sinners short, falling short of the glory of God. Come home. Come home. Come home, come home to His grace. Jesus loves you. Jesus forgives you. And so do we. Will you be a grace giver? People will be drawn to you. If you let Jesus be Jesus in you. Stand with me right now. Jesus, be Jesus in me. Sing it. No longer me but Thee. Resurrection power. Resurrection power. Fill me this hour. Jesus be Jesus in me do you want to be likable like Jesus do you want to love people like Jesus do you want Jesus to be Jesus in you this morning I want you to know that he is here to change you and to rearrange you Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, come even right now, Holy Spirit, and knock upon hearts' doors. And call people, call the hurting to your love. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And I'm not going to embarrass anyone. Heads are bowed. No one is looking around. But I'm ready to pray a prayer. A prayer that will make you right with God. Perhaps, perhaps you've been attending this church for years. But you're not right with God. You don't know Him. Perhaps this is your first time hearing the gospel message. The good news. That Jesus wants to take that garbage. He already paid for it. He already laid it upon Himself at the cross. The price has been paid. All you have to do is believe and receive. I'm ready to pray a prayer this morning. Not just a prayer of salvation, but it's a prayer of rededication. For those that just know about God, but need to really press in as never before and know Him. I'm talking about you this morning if you'd like to be included in this prayer to be made right with God and know that you know that heaven is your home just lift up your hand right now amen God bless you God bless you how many more lift it up God bless you amen how many more how many more this morning I don't want to be left out of God's best I want all that God has for me Pastor, I lift up my hand. I want to be included in your prayer. Lift it up high for Jesus. Praise the Lord. Everyone pray this prayer with me, especially you that have lifted up your hands. Own this prayer. This morning, believe it with all of your heart. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I come to you right now, and I declare your grace is greater than all my sins. Lord, you know my frame. And you remember that I'm dust. I'm clay. But Lord Jesus, though I'm a sinner, you're my savior. Save me from my sin. Remove anything that's displeasing to you. I want your heartbeat I want your passion. I want to know you, Jesus. I know you died for me. And I know you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A radical life that presses on for you. Dear Jesus, grant me your Holy Spirit's power to live a life Like you, Jesus, before everyone. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. For cleansing me. For making me brand new. I thank you, Jesus, that I'm saved. Hallelujah. Sing it again with us this morning. Jesus.